Uh, good morning. For those of you who don't know, my name is Cody. I am a youth director here at the church. Uh, honored to be able to bring the word uh, this morning. We are continuing on in our family dynamics series. And so last week, Eldon brought us through uh, what it meant to be a man in the church. And two weeks ago, Pastor Jeremy shared with us the role of, elder, uh, yeah, the role of elders and pastors towards the congregation. So I get to share the opposite, the role of the congregation towards elders and towards pastors. And so uh, myself, I am a big uh, baseball fan. For anyone who knows me, I work it into many conversations, and now I get to work it into a sermon, which is super fun. Uh, something happened this year called a lockout. And if you don't care about baseball like 90% of the world, then you don't really know that it happened. But it did, and it was detrimental to my my joy. Um, so what happens is uh, to play the game, there needs to be a, a collective bargaining agreement, a CBA between the owners and between the players. And they come to this agreement, it has a uh, expiry date, and if it, a new agreement isn't put in place by the time the old one expires, then games cannot be played. And uh, so that happened this year. The, the agreement expired, and they didn't come to a new agreement. And so then, as a bargaining chip, as leverage, the owners instituted a lockout, which means that the players could not practice, they couldn't use the facilities, coaches couldn't talk to players, players couldn't talk to coaches, and uh, nothing could happen, no one was getting paid, it was a standstill. And uh, I was, uh, yeah, as a Blue Jays fan, where they were finally starting to be good, I was angry, I was so mad, because it was happening. But uh, what I found, I, I was very invested in this one, and because uh, lockouts happen in sports, they happen in other places, I was really invested in this one, and I was really uh, baffled and, and uh, yeah, just kind of weirded out by how much information was coming out, but how much conflicting information was coming out from different sources. So there would be one day where the players say, you know, we've conceded this so that the owners can have this, and then the owner's like, yeah, we like that, we'll agree to those terms. And the next day, the owners come out and they're like, actually, we're going to go back on what we just said, and you have to agree to this because you want to play baseball. And then the owners would come out and say, fans, like, we're for you, we want to play, like, we're the only ones fighting for you. Um, and then the players would come out and kind of open the curtain a little bit and say, like, no, this is, this is what we were doing, and this is what the owners ended up doing. And it was really conflicting, but what happened was it completely destroyed a lot of my faith, a lot of my friends' faith in, uh, in the leaders of the MLB. It kind of tarnished the reputation of the leaders because it showed them to be greedy billionaires who were just grasping at pennies uh, to, to, and using the lockout as leverage to do that. And we could see all this happening because we're in a world of mass information. We're in a world of media where you can't really bargain behind closed doors much, right? Things come out, things are leaked, people come to an understanding. And, and this is happening in a lot of cases with authority, actually, not just sports. It's happening government or corporations with, with churches because the closed door uh, that, that is, helps ignorance has been given way to the open door of, of mass information, so in this, trust for authority has plummeted, a rise for individualization and subjective truth has taken place. You know, if I disagree with the way that you think, uh, then I can go down the street, find another job or church or another camp that will affirm my view, not ask me to dialogue, not ask me to change, not ask me to uh, make any sort of uh, effort to, to reconcile in this. I can, I can leave. The idea of submitting and obeying leaders has become very unpopular as it's tainted with the cultural narrative of being informed and taking a stand. And, and what does that leave the church? Where does that leave church leaders? And, and that's what we get to talk about today. 
uh, as I believe that our text shows us that submission and obedience to spiritual leadership is necessary for a believer's flourishing. So yes, we get to talk about submission and obedience this morning. And uh, if you didn't know, my family and I will be moving away this week. This is my last sermon, and so they gave this to me. <laughs> for better or worse, I think it's for better because here's the thing. I don't have, I don't have a horse in this race anymore, right? I'm not, I'm not up here saying, submit to me. I don't care. Like, I'm, I'm out of here. I care in the way that I believe it's, it's biblical, I care in the way that I see Central operating in, in a healthy form of leadership that as, as congregation, we, we can help that process as we submit and obey. And so we're going to go into the text day. We're going to talk about it uh, because it is important. It's crucial. Submission and obedience to spiritual leadership, it's necessary for a believer's flourishing. So we're in the book of Hebrews. And uh, Hebrews, the main theme that we see running through Hebrews is the superiority of Christ. The author shares that Jesus is God himself. He is superior to the law. He's superior to the previous heroes of faith, Abraham, uh, Moses. He's superior to the priesthood, to the temple. And Jesus is our high priest now, interceding for us in the throne room of the Father. And Hebrews 1 through 9 shares that, shares the teaching on the superiority of Christ. Hebrews 10 and 13 goes from teaching to encouragement. Because Jesus is superior, here is how you should live as believers in him. Because of Christ's sacrifice on the cross, Hebrews 10.22 bridges it. He says, we can, we can draw near with a true heart in full assurance of faith because he has opened up a new living way into God's presence. So Jesus, not only the superior person, not only the superior institution, the superior way of life. As repentance and belief in Christ allows the, the believer, the follower, to dwell, to live in the very presence of God. So chapter 13, where we are this morning, the final chapter, a final exhortation, encouragement to, to learn from past examples of the faith, to, to persevere in the faith, and a call to live in the kingdom of God through the power and influence of the king himself, Jesus. So this is where we are this morning. Why don't we stand for the reading of scripture and uh, it is one verse, so quick stand. <laughs> Hebrews 13, 17 says, Obey your leaders and submit to them, for they are keeping watch over your souls as those who will have to give an account. Let them do this with joy and not with groaning, for that would be of no advantage to you. Father in heaven, we thank you for this morning. Thank you that we have an opportunity to go through your word. I, I praise you that, that we are a church that doesn't skim over hard things, but instead dives in them and, and asks, uh, Holy Spirit, what, are you, what have you taught? What are you teaching? And how can we be transformed by this word? And so this morning, God, I ask that these would be your words and not my own. Uh, if anything is not of you, would it be forgotten or not even spoken? And uh, God, would this morning be one of transformation as we seek to submit and obey first your word and uh, learn more about that through leadership. God, we love you. We praise in your name. Amen. You can grab a seat. Got three points this morning. Um, we're going to be going through submission and obedience to spiritual leadership. Second, the weight and the warnings of spiritual leadership. And third, the benefit and, and blessing of spiritual leadership. So two weeks ago, Pastor Jeremy did, did a great job uh, highlighting the role of spiritual leadership, the responsibilities of pastors and elders, the, the necessity as well as uh, the reward for those who lead with perseverance and, and with reverence of God. 
And uh, I encourage you to go back and listen to that because Pastor Jeremy, through the words of 1 Peter 5, showed us that, showed us that some people are called to shepherd. Some people are called to, to lead the flock of God and their role is set apart while others in the church are called to submit and to obey. And so because there was only one verse that I was given to work with, we get to do some, uh, get to some word studies together, which is very exciting uh, for Eldon. And... Uh, <laughs> So I want to take a look at those two words, submit and obey, because uh, when I was first studying this and I got this verse, I read those words and, and I was like, man, this seems like those words, I kind of have a prejudice towards you thinking like, okay, calling someone to submit and obey, it's like, it's an effort to shut down their opinion, maybe destroy their freedom, uh, further your own will above theirs. But, but those were prejudices I needed to keep in check as I dug into what these words meant. And so first we're going to look at uh, submit. The word is hypico. And in the original language, this is actually the only time that, that hypico is, is used in, in the New Testament, but it means to yield or to withdraw. And so to yield, um, I'm going to use a roundabout illustration, because I'm not sure many people know how to use roundabouts in the Fraser Valley. <laughs> but a roundabout, right? When you yield to someone, it's they are accelerating, and you cease your acceleration because the person has the right of way. If that gets interrupted, if someone accelerates beyond their right of way or someone stops their acceleration for someone who doesn't have the right of way, it's a mess. Either you frustrate people or accidents happen, deaths can occur. So to yield, to, to stop accelerating for, for the person who has the, the right of way, to yield to authority is to yield to the person who's been given the role of leadership, giving way to their path that, that, that they are going and now, this is the only time that hypico is mentioned in the Bible, but there's another word that shares the same root, which is hypotasso. And this word is used many times, uh, which means to subject oneself to, or a definition that I really like is to arrange yourself under. And so, to arrange yourself under, that's, that's something that we see in a lot of other areas that we don't really have an issue with. Um, when I was younger, I get to do this twice, I played baseball. <laughs> <laughs> That's why I love it now. Uh, I, was, I, I played baseball, and, and my dad was the coach. So we were in the finals, and uh, this was kind of like the last game of the season, finals, and I was the pitcher that was lined up to pitch. Not because my dad was the coach. I was a good pitcher. This story does not share that, but I was. I just <laughs> want to put that out there. So my dad lines me up. First batter comes up, and, uh, and I walk him. So if you don't know baseball, walking means you just like freely give someone first base and they, with no effort on their part. So I walk him. It's okay. It's the finals. Pretty, pretty nervous. Second batter comes up. Walk him. So I got a batter on first, got a batter on second. No outs. Third batter comes up. Walk him. Okay. So I guess you know where the story's going. Uh, bases loaded. Nobody out. First inning. I'm like, this is fine. I can get out of this jam. Fourth batter comes up. Walk him. Oh, I know now, run scores, no one out, bases loaded. My dad comes to the mound, which in baseball, you can go to the mound, you can, you can give a pep talk, you know, you'd normally come up and be like, you got this. He came up, he's like, you're done. <laughs> I was like, like, what? He's like, you don't have it today, like, you're out, we're bringing someone else in. And I was like, oh, man, hurtful. But uh, my, my role in that moment wasn't to, uh, you know, to, to just keep pitching, I had to arrange myself under the authority of my coach, right? Because he was placed in a position where he was in charge of giving his team the best chance to win, which I guess he decided was not me. 
And me as a player, I had to arrange myself under his leadership and under his command. I didn't agree with the, with the choice, but, but it was my call, to, call to, to yield, to submit, to arrange myself under. It didn't mean I was less of a person. It didn't mean that I was less valuable. It doesn't mean I, I had less dignity than, than my coach or my dad. But, but it was his role to make those choices. It was my role to arrange myself under. So that's the word, that's the word submit. The second word, obedience, the word pytho. In, in other places in the Bible, it's translated to have confidence in, to believe in, to to listen. And James will use this word a lot when he's talking. He, he, he talks about a horse obeying its master by a bit in its mouth or, or a ship obeying its, its captain by the small rudder. It's going in the direction that you are told to go, going in the direction of the one leading you. And so we can know these words, we can understand these words, but the question comes, well, why? Why do we have to arrange ourselves under? Why do we have to believe, have confidence in? these spiritual leaders? Well, because as believers in Jesus, as followers of Jesus, we follow his conduct. We, we strive, strive to look like him. And, and the truth is Jesus himself submitted. And so in John 6, Jesus had just done two miracles. He, he fed the 5,000, dividing the five loaves, two fish among 5,000 people because he had compassion on them. And then he prayed into the night and ended up walking on water to go and meet the apostles on on the sea. And then the next day, people crowded around Jesus and they said, like, show us another miracle. Do something else. We want to see more. And Jesus said, you don't need another miracle. You need to believe in the one who God sent. And uh, they said, you know, in, in a hard-hearted way, well, well, show us a sign then. Show us a miracle. You know, our fathers received manna from heaven, drawing back to the, the wilderness wandering where, where God sent down manna to feed Israel while they were in the desert. He said, well, heaven, you, we saw manna from heaven. What are you going to do for us that we should believe in you? Jesus said, you know, it wasn't, the bread wasn't from heaven. The bread was from my father in heaven, and he's sending you something else. He's sending you something better, the bread of life. And Jesus said, I am the bread of life. No one who comes to me will hunger or thirst. And then he continues, John 6, verses 37 through 40 says, All that the Father gives me will come to me, and whoever comes to me I will never cast out. For I have come down from heaven not to do my own will, but the will of him who sent me. And this is the will of him who sent me, that I should lose nothing of all that he has given me, but raise it up on the last day. For this is the will of my Father, that everyone who looks on the Son and believes in him should have eternal life, and I will raise him up on the last day. Jesus himself submitted himself to the will of the Father who sent him, and praise God he did. Uh, Dr. Blair Smith puts it this way, without Jesus' submission, we would not experience the results of the plan of salvation. The will of the Father is that all who look to the Son, all who, who look to Jesus, who believe in his name, who repent of their sin, will, will have eternal life being raised up on the last day. If Jesus didn't submit, if Jesus, if Jesus would have sinned in the desert when, when the, the devil was tempting him or, or any other number of times where he could have, then our hope in eternity of living in God's presence would be gone. In the Garden of Gethsemane, before Jesus was crucified in Luke twenty-two forty-two, he says, Father, if you are willing, remove this cup from me. Nevertheless, not my will, but yours be done. 
Jesus sealed the fate of all who would turn their eyes to him, repenting of their rebellion against him and believing that in Christ all shame has been removed and has been replaced with glory. Because of Christ's submission to the Father's will, we as God's people experience the new life and the eternal life that's found in him. One final example, Philippians 2, 8 through 11 says, And being found in human form, Jesus, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross. Therefore, God has highly exalted the name of Jesus, uh, that every knee should, no, highly exalted him and bestowed on him the name that is above every name, so that at the name of Jesus, every knee should bow in heaven and on earth and under the earth, and every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. Christ's submission and obedience to the Father didn't discredit him. It didn't make him less God. It didn't make him less valuable or hold less dignity. But, but being God himself and humbling himself, he was again exalted as the name above every name and brought glory to the Father in heaven. Humility led to glory. Submission is an opportunity for us to look like Jesus. Obedience, an opportunity for us to look more like Jesus. But the question that comes out of that is, well, Jesus submitted to the Father in heaven who is perfect. What if we're called to submit to people who aren't perfect, which we are? What if we're called to submit to someone that I disagree with, with someone who, the, the 25-year-old on stage, who I probably have a better opinion than? <laughs> I would, it's a good question, but we always need to go back to our motivation for asking these types of questions. Why are we, why are we asking what if and, and how does that work? Well, I'd venture to say that spiritual leadership is not graded on, on the scale of who knows more. Spiritual leadership isn't graded on the scale of who's been in the faith longer. It is about who God has called to lead his church. Who God has called to lead his people in the place that he has them. Submission and obedience is a joy when our leaders are, are focused on sacrificial and loving leadership. It's not that the spiritual leaders have a better connection to the spirit of God when they become pastors or elders, something like opens up in their brain, but it is that they have been established in their role for the purpose that God has called them to. So our questions shouldn't be, how do I get my own way or how do I prove my point? How do I make myself known? Our question should be, how can we unite ourselves that we may effectively display Christ to the world? How can we live together under the leadership God gives us so that we together might spread joy in Christ where God has called us? So those are the words submission, obedience. What does it mean, though, to arrange ourselves under leadership? What does that, what does that look like? And that's where we get to go into the weight and the warning of spiritual leadership. Uh, I want to start the section with, with a quote from A.W. Tozer. My apology for this, though, is, is I've been listening to a lot of e-books and it's very hard to quote an ebook because you have to go back and find it. So I don't have this quote exactly correct. It's a summary. Um, but if you want to read the book, you can. You can. Uh, it's A.W. Tozer's uh, The Dangers of a Shallow Faith. And in it, he says, we shouldn't so much worry about the doctor who, who messes up on, on medication because the worst that he can do in his job is, is kill the, the human body, the physical body. We should worry about the pastor because he will have to give an account for those he leads to hell. So the weight of spiritual leadership is extraordinarily heavy. Our text says they, they watch over the souls of their flock as well as having to give an account for what they do with it. The word soul, 
is psyche. And, and, and what that would find that in the Bible, it, it means life, it means breath, it means being. So when we think of pastors or elders, sometimes we assume their agency should end with the spiritual. They can tell me to pray more. They can tell me to read my Bible more. They can even call me if I haven't been to church in a few months and say, hey, please come back. But how dare they tell me how I should lead my family? How dare they tell me what to do with my money or talk about my eating habits or, or my television watching habits? What, what right did they have? And our text actually says that it should be our expectation that they're, that they're looking over those things. Their agency is to keep Watch, and, and, and that word is to be alert regarding your, our lives, our psyche, our souls. The soul isn't a separate spiritual being within you that goes to heaven when you die. The soul is a, the deepest part of who you are. The soul is what is transformed when you repent and believe the good news of Jesus. The soul is your deepest longings and desires. It's what makes you who you are. And so when leaders are told to be alert, to be aware of the soul, it's to be alert regarding every area of life that's impacted by the gospel. To be aware of every area of your life that should be exposed to the light of Jesus, every area of life that, that we as the people of God are called to submit to God. And then what they do with that will be judged more severely because of their position of leadership they're in. The author uh, John in Revelation illustrates this, this final day of judgment in Revelation 20, 11 through 15. He says, And I saw a great white throne and him sitting on it from whose face the earth and heaven fled away and a place was not found for them. And I saw the dead, the small and the great stand before God and books were opened and another book was opened, which is the book of life. And the dead were judged out of those things which were written in the books according to their works. And the sea gave up the dead in it, and, and death and hell delivered up the dead in them, and each one of them was judged according to their works. And death and hell were cast into the lake of fire. This is the second death. And if anyone was not found having been written in the book of life, he was cast into the lake of fire. The end of human history and, and the beginning of eternal state is kicked off with, with a judgment where both good and bad are, are raised and stand before the perfect judge to give an account for what they did. Those, who trust, those whose trust is not placed in the lamb who takes away the sin of the world would be given over to the second death, whereas those who put their trust in the sacrifice of Jesus and live in a way that reflects their belief will be placed in the new heaven, in the new earth. And I don't want to don't want to say this wrong in the way that, that works save us or that, that deeds save us, but I ha I've heard it once said that truth isn't believed until it's acted on. You don't believe, you don't truly think something is true until it impacts the way you live, until it impacts what you do. So if you truly believe that Jesus saved you from death, you truly believe he's offered you new life in his name and the spirit of God lives in you, dwells in you, empowering you for ministry, for worship, empowering you for submission and obedience. If you truly believe that, it will impact what you do. And in all that being said, then we turn to James 3 and he writes, not many of you should become teachers, my brothers, for you know that we who teach will be judged with greater strictness. 
for we all stumble in many ways. Similarly, Jesus in Matthew 18, verse 6 says, but whoever causes one of these little ones who believe in me to sin, it would be better for him to have a great millstone fastened around his neck and to be drowned in the depth of the sea. Similarly, my old youth pastor, when I was thinking about going into ministry, he said, if there is anything else you can think of in the world that you should be doing that God is calling you to, do that thing instead. Because if you choose to go, if you, if you go into ministry on your own strength, you will burn out and you will hurt a lot of people. But if, if you feel God calling you to it, then, then it will be unavoidable in your life. Leadership is serious and the weight of it is unimaginable without the guidance of the Holy Spirit and the strength of Jesus Christ. And the warning is that those who do it flippantly, those who do it without concern for consequences will be met at the end of days with the judgment before a holy and perfect God and they will be judged for those who they led astray. So then what do we do if we feel we're under that type of leadership? What are we called to as a congregation when, when leaders fail or when leadership is, is um, broken? We've witnessed the church receive a pretty rude awakening in the last few years. Uh, a lot of celebrity pastors who are in the spotlight have been falling to uh, either sexual sin or, or immorality of other kinds, um, abuse of power, money laundering, brushing over, churches brushing over sins to save face. And it's heartbreaking because then we hear the journeys that, that the people the victims of that had to go through or are going through because someone used their platform for their own glory rather than to the glory of the Father. So what do we do with that? Well, submission and obedience doesn't mean forgetting common sense. It doesn't mean complete and undivided and unquestioning devotion to a person. Likewise, authority doesn't mean above accountability. But it means that as we seek to, to correct abuse or, or correct improper behavior, we correct it for, for the desire of restoration. Correct it with the, with, with the desire that those who, who are being corrected are being led further and further into love and, and devotion and submission to Jesus. And that's why we have the systems in place that we do first. Elders in, in Central, right? There's the whole process where they have to sit and they have to be vetted through their motivations, through their past to, to ask those questions of, of why do you want to be an elder? And then after all that is done, they get presented to the congregation and, and they say, if there's anything that would disqualify these men, please bring it forward so that we can know, we can talk, we can, we can uh, discern properly. That's why there are more than one Elder, for accountability purpose, they can hold each other account accountable, but that's also why there's an avenue to speak to elders and to speak to pastors. Transparency in the church. We need to stop hoping for the scandal in church, hoping to, to catch someone and to expose them and to, to, yeah, we need to stop hoping for the scandal and start approaching things with, with grace. Grace is the unmerited favor we receive when Christ died on the cross for our rebellion and our shame. Grace is the power at work within us to forgive and to restore those who have hurt us. Grace is the attitude we bring when our leaders fail. Grace isn't whisking people away from where they failed or where they hurt people to do ministry somewhere else because we just don't want to deal with it. Grace is doing the long work and the long journey of seeking repentance and reform in their ways and making sure they, they don't actually hurt anyone else as they're doing those 
corrections as they're doing that repentance. Grace is praying for our leaders daily that they would lead the church well and not fall for the schemes of the evil one. Grace is going first and foremost to the elders with a concern about either an elder or a pastor or someone without spreading it around the church first, which we know is like a wildfire, very hard to control and very hard to contain. We need to stop hoping for the scandal and focus more on on preventing it. And that's where I want to wrap up this morning, the benefit and the blessing of spiritual leadership. So our text continues and said, let let them, elders, the leaders, do this with joy, not with groaning, for that would be of no advantage to you. Let them lead with joy, not with groaning, because a burnt out leader is of no use to you. You know, ministry leaders don't, don't burn out because of the physical tasks you can believe it. Pastors, we don't, we don't lift heavy things that often. Unless it's like chairs to Harrison Building. Jeremy still owes me four, by the way. But it is the, burnout is the emotional taxation of discouragement, of disheartenment, of sorrow that overwhelm a person so much that they are unable to function anymore. And leaders are often pushed to this point because pastors have to be counselors, they have to be friends, they have to be authorities, but not too much. Elders have to be uh, perfect, right-winged, left-winged, confident, humble, authorities, but not too much. Right? It's a recipe for burnout. But the benefit of a healthy leader, of, of someone who is prayed for constantly, of someone who is encouraged, is that there's freedom for the congregation. There's freedom to follow. Though we are all still responsible for our, for our personal walks, our personal repentance and, and belief in Jesus, for the church, it means you don't have to be in charge. It means you don't have to worry about those big decisions, but, but can trust that God is working through those he has appointed to lead his church. And you can take a deep breath and allow God to work. Uh, our lead pastor, Matt, talks about elders in this way. He says, I praise God for our elders. I observe them to be men of prayer and discernment who love their church deeply and smell like sheep because they shepherd well. Following the way of Jesus, our chief shepherd, they don't lead from the top, they servant lead from the bottom. And when these types of men are leading the church, submission and obedience will allow them to continue to smell like sheep, to lead from a place of health rather than burnout. Uh, Pastor John Piper, when he was preaching on this same uh, passage, he ended his sermon like this. He said, a church should have a bent towards trusting its leaders, should have a disposition to be supportive in your attitudes and actions towards their goals and directions, should want to imitate their faith, should have a happy inclination to comply with their instructions. So my prayer for this day, for, for this church, would we be bent towards grace, towards leaders, towards each other, being, being inclined to follow, be quick to pray, be grounded in accountability, but all from the motivation of unity and expressing to the world the good news of Christ's gospel through both submission and obedience. So let's pray. Jesus, we thank you. Thank you for this church. Thank you for the elders that we have. Uh, yeah, even looking at Ernie here, just knowing that he is a man of integrity uh, and, and among our elders are, are, is that common understanding of integrity, of love for you, of devotion to your word. And so we thank you for our leaders. And God, thank you for this, this challenge in, in your word to, to submit, to obey for our benefit, for the essential uh, discipleship of every believer. Father, with this uh, conversation, which only touches 
the very top of the iceberg with, with this conversation? W would it lead to deeper dialogue, to deeper understanding of truth? Uh, would we seek you first and foremost? And in seeking you, would we know, uh, know your truth better? God, we love you. We pray all this in your name. Amen.